Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, November the 21st, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and this is going to be talking about new church year. The new church year. Why are we talking about January? No. A church year begins with the season of Advent. The word Advent, coming from the Latin to come, means Jesus coming in the Bethlehem stable, Jesus coming into our hearts at conversion, Jesus coming on the last day, and in fact, the gospel reading for this day, Matthew 21, is Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. The old reading from Isaiah 2, which we will be looking at, is when Jesus comes to us on the last day. And the epistle from Romans 13 is how Jesus comes to us while we are here on earth. Uh, verse 13 says, for, uh, verse 11, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we believed. And that's really true. Uh, people like myself who were baptized a few days after our birth and now decades later are still living, well, salvation is nearer to us in the sense of going to heaven. So we're going to be taking a look at the Old Testament reading for the first Sunday in Advent. After Advent, of course, comes Epiphany, and then we get into the Lenten season with those wonderful days of Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter, followed by the season of Pentecost, which we ended last Sunday. And then in between, we have special occasions like the Reformation, uh, Thanksgiving service. We're having a Thanksgiving service at all four congregations I'm taking care of on this Wednesday. And then we're going to be having the regular first Sunday in Advent on November the 27th at uh, the congregations. So... Old Testament reading, Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, Isaiah, in my opinion, is one of the best theological books of the Bible. Probably number one would be Romans, and number two, in my opinion, is the Galatians. They're all tremendous books, but the explanation of what Christianity is about is best found in those particular books, although it's found everywhere, even in the book of Revelation, that takes a little bit of study to understand what John is saying in his vision. So here is a vision that Isaiah has concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, what's Judah and Jerusalem? Well, 
remember, after Solomon, his sons had a big argument, and therefore the 12 tribes were divided. Twelve, ten of them were in the northern part of Israel, and two of them, like Judah and the Levites, were in the southern part with their capital at Jerusalem. So when we talk about Judah and Jerusalem, we're talking about those Israelites that were not taken into Assyrian uh, captivity, as were the northern tribes, but Babylonian captivity uh, years later. And now we're talking about Judah and Jerusalem, which is where God kept his people. Well, we're not even really sure what happened to the 10 northern tribes. They were just kind of encapsulated with the Gentiles. There's some who suggest that that's where England came from. There's different options there. But we do know that in Judah and Jerusalem, after they were taken into Babylonian captivity, the Lord had another king who had them return to Jerusalem, the faithful ones, to rebuild the temple. And then, of course, it was even built better by Herod at the time of Jesus. So we're not talking about Judah and Jerusalem, the people of God. Verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come. Now, what is this talking about? A lot of people think it's talking about contemporary Israel, but it's not. Because in contemporary Israel, there are still many Jews who do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is when Jerusalem will be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills. All the nations shall flow to it. Now, that reminds us of what we were listening to in the latter days of the season of Pentecost, talking where Jesus was giving the signs for the end of the world. And the final sign was that the heavens will be filled with all nations. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, what race you are, or what nationality you are. If you are a believer, you will be in heaven. And so this picture is really of the afterlife in heaven that never stops existing. Many people shall come. And what will they say? Verse 3, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, 
and he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. Now, the term path, which is referring to the way of the Lord, that's that narrow path that Jesus talked about. And on Wednesdays, we take a look at the book of Proverbs. We'll be doing that again this Wednesday, where Solomon, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes the big distinctions between those who are on the narrow path, that's the path to heaven, and those who are on the broad path of works who think that they can earn their way to heaven, who don't believe that they need Jesus as their Savior. And that, of course, is the path to hell, not a path to heaven. So if you are being taken to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths, that means we're going to have a sinless life. We not only will not sin by deed, we won't even sin by thought or by word. And that, of course, is heaven itself. And how can that be if we're still human beings? Because the prayer of David is heard by God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That occurred for many believers at the time of their baptism. Because in baptism, according to the sermon of Peter at Pentecost, they received two gifts. The gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So right now, believers on earth are declared to be righteous, not because of your works, but because of the faith. And that's not a faith that you created within yourself by your free will. It's a faith given to you by the Holy Spirit through the sacrament of baptism or by hearing the word of God spoken, preached by pastors, by missionaries, by teachers, and the Holy Spirit created that faith. What is that faith? Faith that believes, and this is very important, the promises of the gospel, not a faith that obeys the demands of the law. Because while we are here on earth, we still have an old Adam that continues to sin day and night by thought, word, or deed. But God declares us forgiven because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. What does forgiven mean? We've said it a thousand times. It means that God is not going to hold you accountable for your sins because he held Jesus on the cross accountable for your sins. He paid the price. He redeemed you. He gave you a freedom, and that freedom will be perfect in heaven after the day of judgment when bodies who are 
ground of believers will be rejoined to your spirit already in heaven at the point of your death. So what's going to be happening? If this is the mountain of the Lord, and this is Jerusalem, then we should understand the next part of verse 3. For out of Zion shall shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, why are we talking about the law if the law doesn't save us? Well, it's, as we've said a number of times, you do not get a child to become your child by their obedience to your commands in the household. The person becomes your child either by being begotten or adopted. Christians have been adopted into the family of God as sinful human beings who are declared righteous simply because they have also faith in the promises of the gospel. Zion is mentioned because it's Mount Zion upon which Jerusalem is built. In fact, you can go to the last chapters in the book of Revelation and recognize that the holy palace, the holy Jerusalem, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the various bricks are the saints who are in heaven. So, in heaven, we don't learn the law in order that we can obey it and be saved. No, the law is given to us so that we can respond in obedience to the will of God at all times. It's not a way of becoming saved. It's actually a way in which you obey God because you are totally saved with faith in your heart. Now, on that day of judgment, it says the Lord, verse 4, shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, the weapons of war will no longer be needed because there will be no more war in heaven. There won't be nation against nation. Now, that's really hard to understand that in heaven, we have any jealousy. We won't have any pride. It's just hardly able to get that across in our minds. And that's why when it comes also to heaven, we know it not because we understand it, but because we believe it. And where did we get that faith as said? We got it from the Holy Spirit. And therefore we love to do the will of God and learn his laws even in heaven. It continues in verse four. Nation shall not lift up sword a nation. 
neither shall they learn war anymore. You see, that's what a government is here on earth. It's for the protection of citizens. So when war breaks out, for example, the First or Second World Wars, then here in the United States, many factories were changed into making armaments for the soldiers. Many people worked in these factories to prepare our soldiers to fight against those who were our enemies, who were trying to destroy the United States and take over. Now, those wars still continue today. We've got a, a war going on overseas where Russia is attacking a nation because Russia thinks that that nation's land really belongs to Russia. Whether or not that will get into a bigger conflagration, we don't know. But we pray that it will soon end. But while you're here on earth, you will always have wars, rumors of wars, and also the poor will always be with you. And that's because of sin in the world. In other words, we need to remember that the goal of the church is not to create a good social order or a utopia where there are no more wars, no more jealousy, no more pride. That is impossible. In fact, take a look at many people in the United States and what are they doing? They're living lives of immorality and they're trying to get God on their side for their immoral lives. And this is horrible because this is contrary to the word of God. And so in heaven, there won't be any need for the implement of war because there will be no more wars. Nations will love one another. And that love will come about because they recognize as believers the love that God brought to them through Jesus Christ. It's not at all unusual that some people say that the essence of Christianity is love. I don't agree with that because the word love can have a lot of meanings. Some people are living immoral lives because they say, well, I really love the other person. And that's the way I was born, with this kind of behavior in my heart. So they think that it's okay, therefore, to live an immoral life. God does not recognize them as believers. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever, if you carefully read the book of Proverbs by Solomon, is that the believer does sin like the unbeliever, but he also has repentance, which is grief over your sin because of your love for Jesus Christ. So the way that the church operates is that we're kind of to be considered as a rescue team. For example, in floods, 
you'll often see a car that thinks it can get across a road and all of a sudden the water is too deep or too rushing and the person is stuck in the middle of the water on a street that they used to be able to drive on without a problem and the water is going into the car and they will soon be drowned. So what happens? A rescue team comes and they may throw them ropes or there may be a helicopter that a man is lowered from to help the people on the roof of the car. That's the task of the church to rescue people who don't realize that they flood. This can occur during the winter when the ice, many people think, is solid enough on a river that we can skate. Saw a movie recently where a man decided to go fishing. He was told that the ice wasn't as thick as he thought, but he ignored that advice went on the lake and fell into the water. Now, it was interesting, the ice is thin enough that when you're standing above it, you can fall in. But once you get under the ice in the water, you can't push yourself up through the ice. It's strong enough to hold together. And that's why people die when they don't listen to proper advice. The book of Proverbs has much advice for us as to how to walk in the light of the Lord, which is how this particular text ends. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, what would be the opposite? of walking in the light of the Lord would be walking in the darkness of Satan. So it, it doesn't talk about the difference between that which is lit and that which is not. This is a metaphor to talk about which kingdom you're listening to. Adam and Eve were in the light of the Lord when they were created. In the Garden of Eden, they had no sin. But then they listened to Satan in the form of a serpent, and they walked into the darkness of unbelief. They had such unbelief that they actually tried to hide from the Lord, even though he is omnipresent, which means there is no place that the Lord is not. Not only in physical location, but also in emotional location. For the book of Proverbs makes it clear that when God judges your works, he doesn't do so on the basis of their outward work, but on the basis of their motivation. And if your motivation is not out of love for Jesus Christ, then it's not a good work. You at times don't recognize your motivation. It's kind of a Christian parent takes her child swimming 
and then the child goes a little too deep into the water and yells for help. Immediately, the parent rushes into the water to retrieve their child. They don't think, oh, I better do that. I love for Jesus Christ. No, that motivation of love for Jesus Christ spontaneously moves them to rescue their child. And so they may not be aware of the true motivation, but God is, because God can do something that we as human beings cannot. He can read our heart, which means he reads the motivation behind our actions. So you can be a lifeguard, be an unbeliever, and still rescue from being drowned. But your reason is to make yourself look good or to feel good about yourself or to get a paycheck, but it's not out of love for Jesus Christ. But in heaven, the text ends, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So this first Sunday in Advent kind of continues with the last Sundays of Pentecost, talking about in Isaiah 2 what heaven is going to be like. If you want to know what life on earth is like, then read Romans 13, the epistle. And if you want to know about how Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, then that's found in Matthew chapter 21. Those tremendous Bible verses culminating in the advent of our Lord who comes in the Bethlehem stable, who comes into our hearts at conversion, and who comes on the last day. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll be taking a look at the hymn, Savior of the Nations, Come. So the word come is even in the title of the hymn, which is from the Latin word for Advent, the coming of our Lord. And in the results of that coming, is spoken of during the rest of the church year. So join myself, Tom Baker, and Mark Smith tomorrow on Law and Gospel as we look at the hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.